They might not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two bald pastors. Welcome to Two Bald Pastors, a podcast about real faith and real life. I'm Jeff Sinabaldo. And I'm Joe McGarry. And we are two follically challenged pastors serving in congregations in the New England Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, or as we like to call it, the ELCA. It is a snow day morning here in Connecticut. Yeah, I thought Connecticut never got any snow, but I woke up to winter wonderland this morning. Well, usually what happens is we cancel school because it might snow. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But this time we canceled snow. We, canceled, we did not cancel snow. We canceled school <laughs> because it was starting to snow. Right. So I don't know when you got your notice uh, up by you, but uh, here we were finishing up a pancake supper and we got the email as we were kind of cleaning up that school would be closed on Monday morning. So our kids were very excited about that at our home. Yeah, we got the notification just after the kids went to bed, and we just said, uh, should we let them know? And we said, no, we'll let them sleep and uh, dream about wonderful day at school tomorrow. But I, I, we talked about it and said, uh, most likely you're not going to have school tomorrow because of uh, the snow that's predicted. And, and my church is currently uh, working with Family Promise, an organization that works with churches to house homeless families. And this is our week to host. So, so get this, we are hosting... For the first time this week, we, we are partnering with another congregation to do so, and we had the prediction of snow, uh, so the folks thought, well, school probably will be canceled tomorrow, so they actually spent the night at the day center, but also okay. this week, one of the women who is staying with them is expecting to have a child sometime this week. This week oh, is boy. her due date, so... Uh, it's going to be said, a very exciting time. Yeah, for, we uh, said, what the heck are we getting into with all of this? Our first time hosting, but everything's going to be covered. Everything's working out fine. You know, the people of my church are have gone above and beyond in their hospitality, and we haven't even met the folks yet. So they're coming uh, later on tonight, and I think it's going to be a good week. Well, that's wonderful. Well, thanks for doing that for those folks. It's a good way to participate in your community and uh, just be helpful people. So that's great. Yeah, yeah, thank you. So as uh, the Two Ball Pastors, one of the things that I think we, we wanted to share, and, and I feel like we keep coming on and, and saying this, but uh, I know since I kind of took a real serious look lately about uh, my podcasting efforts and, and whatnot and noticed that we haven't been consistent, and largely I think uh, I haven't been in the groove of, of doing this since we moved, and I've really taken a look at that, and uh, I know that moving forward, you know, now that I've recognized that and having some s sort of uh, epiphany during this epiphany season about, you know, just not feeling my, my podcasting mojo lately for whatever reason, I think I... I um, you know, now that we had another episode out and we're talking again, I just really want to get back into doing this regularly. So those of you who are sticking with us, thank you so much. And those of you who are joining us newly, uh, thank you for joining us. And we have we have a lot of great plans moving forward. And I know that I'm going to be stepping up my podcast game uh, in the next couple of months. Uh, and I am excited about that. I'm excited about it too. I really have enjoyed what we do together and it's, I mean, it's a lot of fun and the conversations we have are great, 
and uh, I always feel better after we do it. And um, yeah, I mean, hey, moving is one of the most stressful things in the world to do and just kind of re-putting your life together in a new way. I mean, it's uh, it's all part of the equation and especially when, you know, you got stuff with family and you've got stuff with getting settled in a new community and a new job and <laughs> just yeah, your whole yeah. world is, uh, you know, turned over. It's, um, I mean, we do this because we like to and it's fun. And it just, it, you know, sometimes it just doesn't get to the top of the list. But, um, yeah, no, I think it's going to be great going forward, too. We've got some good ideas. And um, I, I think just to uh, keep putting stuff out there for folks to connect with is uh, is great. So, Yeah, and so our latest episode, we talked with uh, Amanda uh, Gherkin Nelson, who is the Executive Director of Extraordinary Lutheran Ministries. And I felt this was a timely episode to get out there because, uh, at least in the in the Lutheran Church and also in the Methodist Church, this has really been a topic of conversation that folks have been having. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. It's kind of funny. It's like, um, you know, the ELCA made decisions around human sexuality almost 10 years ago, and it just seems like, why are we not caught up yet? <laughs> right, right. On so many levels. And then on the other side of it is you talk with people and they are just not there. And it uh, it makes it a real challenge for sure. I was looking at the at what we had passed in 2009, and I had forgotten that also in 2009 was when we began full communion partnership with the United Methodist Church. So there's a little bit of history yeah. that connects in that way too, yeah. which is really interesting. I was on our synods, uh, I don't know if I would call it a committee, but team of people that was working with. Uh, some Methodist colleagues in preparation of that a couple of years ahead. And uh, it was fun to talk about just kind of where we are the same, different polity stuff, you know, just, I mean, one of the things that's interesting, I don't know if it's good, bad, or indifferent, but it's, it's just interesting. I mean, when the ELCA comes together to make decisions, it's, it's our congregations where it's, and the Methodist Church is a little bit different because it's their whole global communion coming together to make those decisions. Right. So you have a little bit, it's not an apples to apples kind of comparison contextually when you're talking about, well, how is it that we move forward? Uh, just, you know, the world's a big place and it's got a lot of different views, obviously. And um, certainly the United States is its own context. Um, so I, I don't I don't know, know what to say about that other than to say... Um, for the folks who uh, feel like their church betrayed them or was trying to open arms to them to be more participatory and then that didn't happen, um, I can just imagine the hurt that's involved there and um, I, my heart goes out to you. I mean, that's really about what I can say. I mean, I don't want to slam another communion's polity or practice because I, I don't think that's necessarily our call to do, but um, just to be supportive and helpful and know that people are not abandoned in the midst of that is is really to me what's at stake i know we make decisions all the time on things that have implications both good and not so good right some are foreseen and some are unforeseen and uh we all do it in our lives no matter what it is we're doing but um especially in this kind of position when you're really you're talking about people you know it's like why can't we just be good to each other but i know that sounds easier than it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, 
we'll see what happens with the United Methodist Church as they move forward, you know, talking about possible split. And even in 2009, when the ELCA did move forward in inclusivity, and uh, there was a fracture within the ELCA, and, and uh, a certain group of churches did break off because they did not agree. And that probably is going to happen with the United Methodist Church. We'll see as things uh, unfold. But uh, there was a gentleman, Jordan Harris, uh, from Somerville, Massachusetts, who was interviewed by CNN, and, and the way that he expressed his feeling is he said it felt like someone died. You know, right. he, he said the the Book of Discipline, which is kind of the, the rule book for the United Methodists, the Book of Discipline says that all people have sacred worth, but then he said it, then there's this practice of homosexuality that where it says it's in... in incompatible with Christian teaching, and, and he said that doesn't really make sense. And, and I gr- agree with that. I don't see how that makes sense where you say everyone has a sacred worth, but then except for these people. You know, it, it, for me, and, and this is my opinion, it's not opinion of the ELCA or uh, whatever, but uh, it, it's like saying, you know, everybody has sacred worth except those who have blonde hair and blue eyes. You know, just to, to pick out a certain group because you do not agree with it is, is not right at all. Yeah. I think I, I just remember back to the early two thousands. Um, I mean, that's, that's when I became a pastor. It was right in the middle of, I don't know if I would call it a war, but it was, you know, the, the hot arguments within our church about human sexuality. And what I, what I remember most about those times is it seemed that the people that were against it, uh, against being more inclusive, um, they could they could speak about Bible passage, they could speak about tradition, they could speak about um, the theological position, but they what they missed, in my view anyway, is the human side of that. You know, it was yeah. like theory versus practice. Was it seemed to be that what the debate was about? Because then people on the other side be like, yeah, but this this is my this is me, or this is my loved one, or this is my friend, or this is, you know, people I look up to and vocationally or, or whatever it was. Um, and it seemed like almost like two separate conversations happening. I mean, there wasn't, and maybe that's still the case is it seems like it's, um, for those of us who are more inclusive, it, it seems that we start with the people side of things and say like, look, this is a human being that is created in the likeness and image of God. So what's the big, you know, what's your problem? Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> right. And it seems like on the other side of things, it'd be like, well, yeah, but the, the morality of it or the, this Bible story or verse about it, or, you know, the church has never done X, Y, or Z around that. And you're just changing it. I don't know how to reconcile those things, and maybe they can't be reconciled. I mean, I also remember when uh, we had several people in our New England Synod that were very vocal about their opposition to full inclusivity. And uh, one by one, they they left the ELCA. And um, I, I don't know if that's what we should shoot for either, If you know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. I, I mean, I felt really bad about that, but I also... There was also this shift that when the last one of them really had left and we came together for, uh, I, don't, I don't know if it was Bishop Convocation or Presented Assembly, it was one of them, but it was kind of the, the last bastion of argument 
had had uh, chosen not to stick around anymore. And like the whole mood in the room changed. Yep. Yep. It was it, and also it, on that side of it, it felt like okay, we made it through this now. Now we can move forward. And um, on the other side of it, uh, I mean, I don't know. They probably felt like their church abandoned them. So I, it just seems always like a bad idea when you're you're voting on people, to me. Right. But it's it's also important to to make a stance, you know. But that's the side I'm on of it. Is is look, these are humans that we should be loving and including, and um, especially the people that. I know. <laughs> I always think, man, you are the prime, uh, just examples of courage and faithfulness in ways that I just take for granted, you know. And right. um, I mean, I've never. I mean, that's part of just being a white guy, right? Is I've never had to fight for my position. I just it's just granted to me in a in a way that's not fair. It, but it, right. I think about how to reconcile that sometimes, but. And I, I think going back to our conversation with Amanda, and yeah. I, even after listening to it again, I was more conscientious about my language. And I think that's something right. that yeah. I really learned from that about someone, and, and we, we talked about this, someone who is a white, uh, heterosexual male with who's married and has two kids and who has all the privilege in the world given to me automatically by who I am. How right. can I be an ally? How can I be an advocate? And and one of the things she talked about is the language that we use. And and actually on Sunday, part of my speech is to say brothers and sisters, but on Sunday I said siblings. Right. And that's one of the examples she gave on, on one of the things we can do as people who can support those from the LGBTQI plus uh, family is is to watch our language and how we utilize that in how we converse with one another, and that's something that I'm going to continue to practice and hopefully get better at as I as I go on. And something I've been working on too, because my congregation has not gone through a process of really thinking about how it is we welcome people and include people, um, and has shied away from it. I think because they're just have in the past have been afraid to lose people, probably. But I like I've been asking more questions like when we say all are welcome, what do we actually mean by that? Or or do we mean people like us or, or do we mean actually other people? <laughs> right. Right. Or, you know, we have obviously just because we have humans, uh, a number of people that are LGBTQ plus in our community that are they do they feel like they can express who they are or do they keep it to themselves because it's not safe for them? Um, right. I think it's worth engaging that again and really just saying, look, we're not trying to force people out or, or piss people off or create an uproar. We're trying to actually live into our vocation of, of being the church, you know, and, and what does it mean to be followers of Jesus? I mean, he, he's always about breaking down barriers. And if we, if we're the ones putting them up, then we're the ones that need to get broken down a little bit. Yep. I, and I think it's it's also important to say we're not only just talking about the Methodist Church, we're talking about our church, even though we, we have made some steps forward in inclusivity in the last 10 years, there is still some conflict out there, and that's related to our document in the ELCA called Visions and Expectations. Now, this is a document given to anybody who enters the candidacy process, and basically it is filled with visions and expectations of 
what it do, what does it mean to be a roster leader in the ELCA? And from my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jeff, but from my understanding, this document was created in the mid '80s when the after the ELCA was formed, and the history from what I have read is it was a document created to really um, oppress those who are identify as LBGTQI plus uh, com- from that community. And he, a quote from it from 1989 um, was a pattern of behavior that includes homosexuality, erotic activity, is conduct that is inappropriate and, and is reason for a person to be removed from candidacy in the ELCA. Uh, so that specifically was in there, and we as a church now are talking about, and there has been uh, a proposal for um, updating that document, uh, but it still hasn't gone to, gotten to a place where people feel comfortable with the language that is used in that document for inclusivity. Yeah. I don't know all the specifics, but um, I think you're right. I mean, it was it was definitely designed to be a gatekeeping document. Yeah. Uh, to support the polity that was what what it was at the time. So, I mean, I think it was in congruence with what the church was doing at the time, um, even though um, obviously people were trying to open open the system um, to be more inclusive. But we we did that in 2009, and I don't know exactly what happened. But I don't feel like was the document updated then, or you know, or did we really sit on it for ten years? And if that's true, what a, <laughs> what a disaster that is to say we're really gonna we're really gonna open things up, but we're not. It, that makes no sense to me. Without doing both things together, I'm looking at a document from ELM that has put out in response to visions and expectations. It looked like there has been some revision since that time. Okay. Um, but but they're creating a new document, right? I mean, that's what's at stake right now. I, I, I Yeah, I think that's, that's maybe what, what people are talking about. From what I understand is they're creating a new document. Um, there has been talk about whether it, it's just been a lot of updates or just throwing everything out the window and creating a new document. And there, there are some people who uh, feel very passionate that even though they have made continue to make updates, it's, I think it's sitting at the uh, Council of Bishops right now uh, that it still hasn't gone far enough into I- inclusivity in, in its language. So uh, there's still some, some concerns about that. And, yeah, and I think it's, it's, the concerns are people still don't feel safe who identify. And that is a problem. I think, and especially if you feel called to ministry and you do not feel safe, then you're not going to be experiencing that call, that, and the church is going to miss out on the gifts that you have to offer uh, the church and the world, and it's it's just a really crappy place to be, I think. Well, part of it is, I'm just thinking about it, um, the underlying assumptions, right? So if the underlying assumptions in creating the document in the first place was to be a gatekeeper, and we've eliminated the gate, then why do we have the document? Correct. So if you're creating a new document, I can understand that people would be more than skeptical about what its intentions are. Um, right. Now, if it's just a if it's a, if it's a unique new just policy statement, 
in a way that makes things work. That's one thing, but it seems to me there's so much loaded onto this that it that's what's causing the problems. But again, right. that's me being kind of naive, I think. No, I, I think that's fair to say, and I think that is, you know, kind of where people are at. So uh, so what do we do about this, Jeff? I, I think that's something that continues to go around in my head, you know, as as, as people called into, into ministry, as people called to support our brothers and sisters in, in what they do and, and what we do together, you know, what do we do? What How, how do we move forward? I think the, f- the first thing is... I mean, and I don't want this to sound weak, uh, but just like, you know, be a human being. (laughs) Just like, yeah, you know, um, uh, first of all, first and foremost, you you treat people like they're human beings, um, that they're people that God loves and are created by God and and not um, a pariah, you know, at least as a starting point. And then I think from there, you kind of say, okay, so who who are people that we can, um, talk to us, you know, just have some, some voices. So it's not, cause I think we're people that are more on the theory side rather than on the practice side. Right. You know, they get afraid of the, I, the quote idea of it, of whatever that really means to them. Um, but the, the, you hear that language sometimes, you know, I just don't like the idea of it. Um, but when it's a human being that, you know, that, is a you know what I mean? It, yep. it changes when it's relational. It I, does. I just I really think it does. it does. Now at the same time, I don't think that means you just make the person a a a, a token or a poster child for whatever it is. You know what I mean? I, you don't want to do that to people either. But I think uh, somebody certainly like Amanda, who's put herself out there and is leading this organization, and it was very gracious in talking with us twice. And one of them we actually published. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's not that's not anybody's fault. That was the the disc. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> Got corrupted. Um, uh, you know, who said I'm here to have these conversations and to help people have these conversations? And uh, I think I think we got to take advantage of of people who are willing to have conversations with us. But again, I think just uh, you know maybe even asking questions in a way that. And maybe I'm not sure how to do this quite exactly, but could we ask questions of our people in our congregations that don't put them on the defensive? You know, so it doesn't become a political issue or a red-blue issue in the way that everybody frames everything now, uh, but could really be about, uh, you know, what does it mean to be a faithful person and what does it mean to care for each other and lift up each other's gifts and learn from each other and experience how other people experience things and doesn't that make us better people of faith and better people in general? Yeah. It's understanding how to have those conversations. I think so. I think that's really where you got to start is, is how do we even have a conversation where what's at stake is we're having the conversation. We're not doing it to um, either keep people out or railroad a decision that we've already made. You know, because I, I think I think people always come in defensively. Right. And how can we just disarm that and say, look, we're just trying to actually figure this out together, you know? So I, I recently read a book called Crucial Conversations, and and a lot, I mean, it's ha- how do you have these crucial conversations that 
really define how you move forward uh, together. And there's tons of examples in there about people, and, and it's not a ministry-based book. It's a corporate book, but you can apply it definitely to uh, your ministry setting. Is uh, There was a, um, an example in there, I remember, about this woman who was in charge of this company who was spending all this money uh, supposedly on renovating her office. And there, there had to been, be some budget cuts in the company, and there were people upset because they said, well, you're spending all this money on building yourself a new office, but people are losing their jobs. And they went to her, and they were very upset, and they started to express that. And uh, the author says it, it could have gone one to two ways. It could have gone to a way of, you know, when they brought it up to her in this meeting, she would be like, I'm the boss, it is the way it is, and then people would leave feeling deflated and upset and continue to rail against her in, in what she's doing. Or it could have gone another way, in the way which it did, where uh, she stopped, she diffused the situation to make it a safe space, and then she uh, rephrased kind of what, they, what she heard them saying, and she said, well, let's have a conversation about that. And it, it changed the whole atmosphere of the room to be a heated place, uh, where people were on the defensive to a place where it was safe to express what you were thinking, how you were feeling, and to figure out a way to move forward. And, and I think when we have these crucial conversations, conversations about human sexuality, it is finding a way to make it a safe space, not coming in it with our agendas, not coming in it with an advance to say, I'm going to change everybody's mind who thinks opposite of the way that I do, but really, how do we have a fruitful conversation about this where people can feel heard, where people can come out of it saying, I'm, I'm ready to move forward together? There are ways that, that that has happened, but it's hard. It's hard to do. Yeah, and as, as you were saying that, I was just thinking, it, it's not just about sexuality. I mean, it's like, I want to change the worship time. Yeah, right, right. It, it, it's equally as tense. Yes. You know, that's that has nothing to do with <laughs> the other. But it's but it's the same type of situation where it's people get really defensive really quickly because they don't want to have to do anything differently. It requires uh, trying to have some empathy and see things from another point of view is really pretty helpful. And right. and the other time is looking at, well, what are the systems that are just in place that are uh, preclude any movement? You know, if it's yep. just. Um, I mean, I think of how many systems we have in place that the real goal is the status quo. Right, right. Uh, whatever it is. I mean, just since I picked on it already, I mean, the worship committee, you know, like the, what do they do <laughs> that really is that innovative? I mean, I remember we we tried to do a, um, a survey a couple of years on worship, and basically the only people that answered it were the people that wanted everything to stay the same. I'm like, well, that's not even a helpful tool. <laughs> but these people said, I'm like, yeah, but you got a third of the people that answered, and they're all a third of the people that aren't going to do anything differently. So right, why right. why do we even bother? Yeah. No, and that's a difficult thing because you do have— Yeah, it, you do it have, really is. You know, when, really you, when is. you look at the average congregation, you have— you know, 20% that want to move forward, that are excited to, 20% that don't want to do anything and will do everything in their power to make sure change doesn't happen. And then you have the 80% who could go one way or the other or who just happy coming on Sunday morning and, and to really figuring out as a congregation 
what are we here for? Why do we exist? And, and what does that mean for our future as a church? One of the things that I suffer from is the um, shiny object, object syndrome, right? So I <laughs> hear about something, I see Don't something, and I say, oh, let's do that. I want to do that. I want to do that. And before I know it, my plate and the church's plate is full of just stuff, uh, stuff that we want to do and stuff that we we are passionate about. And I could list, you know, probably five or six things right now that uh, we have talked about as a church that said, hey, let's do this, let's do this. And and I have learned from experience and I've learned my, my own habits and traits of like, I can't keep doing that and be successful in, in ministry. One of my tactics moving forward is to pick one area of, of the church and really work on that for a while until we become uh, fluid in that, in that way. See what are the gifts and the strengths of my congregation are, then work on that together. And one of those areas right now is music. Uh, we have a fabulous, fabulous music director who's passionate about his job, passionate about music, very, very talented. And um, I've talked to to our, our council and said, hey, what are ways that we can take advantage of this? I mean, he's a, he's a song, he's a musician, he's a songwriter, he's a conductor. I mean, he does it all, um, vocalist. And so we, we are talking about that. Now, how are we going to be utilizing that and what does that look like? I'm excited about that. Yeah, something I've been doing post um, building project has been, um, and we're and we're going to need to take up doing it again. But I've been I've been trying to work through with people in a larger group setting, and then breaking them into groups um, to to try to define what our values as a congregation are. And you know, we have this mission statement, which is kind of vague, so um, I don't don't think necessarily we're going to need to change that so much, but it's just, can we, can we define it? Can we hone it in what it's trying to do? You know, cause our, our mission statement is basically about being community together yep. in Christ, but you know, that's pretty vague, but you know, what are the things that we value together? And, and for me, I, I love the question why, and just keep hammering on it. Well, so why are we doing this? Why, you know, Yep. Why are we here? What are you know? Why are we called to be the church in this place? Why are we doing the things that we're doing? So my hope is, if we can if we can keep clarifying those things and hone it in to where it's um, always kind of part of our conversation of whatever it is we need to do. Uh, one, it kind of prevents a little bit of that shiny object syndrome because I have it too. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. also, just um, you can actually start to talk about things that matter particularly since we've been talking about human sexuality, we can then have those conversations because we, we know who we are together. And so right. is this a way to, to talk about, look, if we're called to be community in Christ, um, who is that? Isn't, who should be at the table for that? <laughs> right, right. You know, who, who isn't here um, and why? You know, why, why have we uh, done things a certain way that has not been um, more inclusive or more... Um, open, even in unintentional ways. We've talked about that a little bit too, just the unforeseen consequences of things we've done. So that's been kind of my strategy, and I'm hoping to kind of keep working on that, just to kind of keep pushing up the hill a little bit, that that big rock, just, but if we can, if we know why we're here and what we're called to do and, and how we, how we can start to think about that, I think we can start to have better 
better trust of the process and having some of those more difficult conversations about things. Because, I mean, sexuality is one, but we've got umpteen million different topics these days that are we need to talk about at church because it's part of our, our life. Um, but people go really shy about it because they get defensive or they think it's it's going to be too divisive or people are going to leave or something like that. But I think, I think church should be the place where you get to talk about these things, right? I mean, if you're, if you're doing it in a caring, loving environment, we should be able to disagree or we should be able to learn from each other in a way that you don't certainly see on the TV pundit shows, you know? Right, right. Yeah, and I, I totally agree with that. And thank you for taking it a little further than I did when we talk about our identity and the, the purpose of doing that and the purpose of bringing it up uh, in this episode in particular is if you are someone who is passionate about creating a safe, welcoming place within your congregation, knowing your why of doing it and, and having that coincide with what the church has said is, is its priority is, is important. Um, going going to a church council and saying, I think we should be a reconciling in Christ congregation uh, because I am passionate about that, might not go too far, um, but say, I'm passionate about it, but also I believe it fits in with what we are doing here as a congregation, and these are the three reasons why, uh, might have a little bit more traction on it. Um, but it's, it's a, it can be a, a difficult conversation uh, to have for some people. Now, my hope my dream is to go into a congregation and say this is this is something we should do as far as be, being a welcoming, reconciling in Christ congregation and have people be on board with that with no problem. Yeah, that's a good idea. I don't know why we haven't done it yet before. Is remembering uh, the remember when we had the episode with uh, Tim Crick a few months ago? Yeah, and he was talking about I've been because I've been thinking about this a lot since we had that conversation is. By the time you get to a vote, you should know what you're going to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. And and it doesn't necessarily mean everybody's going to agree, but it, you know what I mean? You, you've, you take the time to do the work, and then you get to the point, point where you're, quote, deciding, and every you've gotten enough people on board already through the process, you know? And, and if you've got a process that people can trust is not a forced hand, you know? Right, right. I think, man, I've been thinking that's just, I think that's critical. And that is, I think about our, our Methodist friends who came to this vote, hopeful that it would go and, and it, it didn't, but it was also very close. Right. And then you think, okay, if half the people walk out of the room feeling great because they won and half the people walk out of the room upset because they lost, then nobody's done enough work ahead of time. Right. Right. What we can do as the ELCA is to continue to support our brothers and sisters, our siblings in, within the Methodist Church, um, and those who feel like the church has let them down on on either side, and and have the conversations that we need to have to to help them move forward. You know, right. and and you and I That's believe right. moving forward is in one way than what some other people might believe, but I, I think having those conversations and being a, a place of support in prayer and conversation. In, in any way that we f can can do as we offer support for them, I think is going to be important moving forward. Uh, at the end of the day, I think what both of us believe is uh, that the church should be a community that's transformed by our encounter with Jesus and not be those who shake our finger about who is and who isn't welcome here. 
that we could be a people that that truly loves and welcomes people relentlessly, even when everybody else tells us not to. Uh, because if we don't do that, uh, we just become the judgmental people that cri- people think Christians are. Yeah. So I, I just to speak for myself, I think you agree with me, is that the, one of the things we're trying to do on this podcast is to model being open to others, which includes using this platform to welcome guests that a lot of people in our churches might not know. And uh, I, I personally have just found that really helpful. I think you have too, not to speak for you, but... No, no, yeah, I totally agree, yeah. Yeah, and uh, just to get on my own soapbox a little bit, I, what I think could happen is... Um, Three things. Uh, the first is if that if there are people that have told um, that you've been told don't belong, is that those are the people we should get to know, mm-hmm. uh, because aren't those the people that Jesus loves? And if Jesus loves them, why shouldn't we? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And second, if there's people that who have been pushed out or feel rejected because of who they are or what other people might feel about you. Um, we should be those who model uh, that you are loved and welcome here. And there are lots of, com- and to lift up that there's lots of communities would love to embrace you with no strings attached. Uh, but the last thing, and, and maybe this is the transformative bit, is that when those two things come together, when you've been uh, told or taught uh, these are the people that should not belong, and then you get to know the people um, who that is, or if you've been pushed out and are have been told you're not welcome, when those two things can come together, um, that is the transformative work of the church. And I think that's really when we do, when we can really do our best work. And um, I mean, that's why I keep at it. And uh, I hope I hope that's why the church keeps keeps going is because we become those people where the walls keep coming down and um, try to see where the spirit keeps leading us. Yeah, I, I couldn't say it better myself. I, I think I am 100 percent in agreement with you about that. And, and, and this is important work. And I know you and I are both dedicated to continue it to our best efforts and to be supportive of those, especially those who feel like they have been cast aside or lost or forgotten or looked down upon because of who they are, where they come from, who they love, uh, what gender they identify with, you know, just a number of things that uh, we see discriminatory acts in our world and in our churches, and we are um, both dedicated to to eradicate that. And it's hard work, it's long work, and sometimes it feels like it's impossible work, but I truly believe that uh, that that's what God wants us to come together and to be a unified body, regardless of who we are. Yeah, and uh, I mean the other thing is where we started uh, just both by both saying, you know, we're both two white guys, right. heterosexuals with families. Yeah, I mean with that comes the the way that looks, right? But also, um, I think that gives us another responsibility to really try to be those who. Um, you know, join Jesus in breaking down the, the walls and uh, finding people that can help us do it. And um, th- there's joy there. I mean, it's, it is, like you said, it's a lot, a lot of work and a long work to do, but uh, there's a lot of joy in it too. There so, is. Yep. Yeah, this was a fun conversation, Joe. Thank you. Yeah, no, I appreciate uh, always getting together and, and putting out another podcast. And I want to thank you, the listener, for joining us. And if you have 
stories you want to share, uh, please let us know. If you are inspired by this podcast, or even if you don't disagree, you know we want to hear from you as well, and to to just deepen that conversation, and not for us to say, "Hey, you're wrong, and this is the right answer," but to really engage and have a conversation. Feel free to reach out to us and let us know your thoughts, uh, because this is important work, and we are dedicated to continuing to do the work that God is calling us to do uh, through our churches and through this ministry of this podcast. So um, we are the Two Bald Pastors, helping you connect your faith with your life. I'm Joe McGarry. And I'm Jeff Sinabaldo. Hope you have a great day and a blessed week. Bye now. They might not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two Bald Pastors. Two bald pastors. We don't have the answers either. Come back next week to find out why. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Uh, It'll be a late one. Yeah, no rest for the weary. That's right. All right. Well, if I don't talk to you, happy Lent. Yeah, you too.